0: The biz podcast delivers tea news that you need to know. A recap of the week's major headlines with commentary and cultural trends hosted by Dan Bolton. It is the voice of origin for tea professionals and enthusiasts worldwide. Think of us as a digital caravan of storytellers, bringing authentic, authoritative, and exclusive stories to you weekly from the Tea lands Welcome. It's International Tea Day. Here are the headlines. Assam forbids tea workers to isolate at home. Nepal's first flush is delayed. Kagoshima may soon outproduce shizuoka in Japan. More in a minute, but first this important message.
1: Avani empowers rural women practicing sustainable agriculture, including tea and crafts such as weaving with natural fiber and plant-based dyes. Up in the towering Himalayas, Kuman is one of India's oldest tea regions. Today, we raise our cups in the name of Avani Kuman. A nonprofit dedicated to strengthening farming communities. Cheers to a brighter future for all. To donate, visit Avani-Kumon.org.
0: Villagers have celebrated tea at local festivals that date to millennia. In the past hundred years, regional and national tea celebrations gained momentum driven primarily by corporate marketers. A decade ago, the idea of a global day of recognition with a different message took hold. Joideep Fukan, who directs the Toklai Tea Research Center in Assam, was tasked by the FAO's intergovernmental group on tea to convince the United Nations General Assembly to focus on producers— creating awareness and appreciation for the small growers responsible for most of the world's tea. That took five years. Then the real work began. In 2019, when he learned of the General Assembly vote in favor of International Tea Day, Pekan challenged the industry to, quote, Now that we have a dedicated day for tea, we need to do interesting things around the day to reposition tea As the most preferred beverage in the world. Today, you see that commitment passionately on display. There are virtual festivals, seminars, and academic presentations, an all day sofa summit to hear the voices of origin, and the YouTube series Around the World in 80 Teas, a marvelous virtual visit to the tea lands narrated by Will Battle and Dr. Sharon Hall, who directs the UK Tea and Infusions Association. The UN organized a presentation on sustainability and a panel discussion. In Argentina, Misiones tea growers are presenting a Spanish-language tea conference. In Sri Lanka, the focus is on marketing. In China, the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs is hosting the Hangzhou Tea Expo, the largest face-to-face tea expo in China since the pandemic. If you love tea, please promote and participate in these activities, either live or over the weekend since most are recorded. Today is a glorious day. Let's all share in the tea industry's 10-year overnight success. Visit the T-Biz blog for event schedules and registration links. Business Insights. T Biz presents Behind the Headlines, a 15-minute YouTube presentation by Dan Bolton describing four trends that shape today's news. The video is available in English and Spanish. Assam forbids tea workers to isolate at home. The situation has worsened in Assam to the point that workers who test positive, many of whom are mothers and grandmothers, must quarantine outside their home until they recover. The practice is controversial, but necessitated by the fact that entire families have perished on the return of infected workers. Assam Health Minister Kisab Mahanta announced that, in the tea gardens, we have taken a tough stance on isolation of the positive patients no one will be allowed to avail home isolation in the tea gardens, end quote. Workers that do not require hospitalization must remain in COVID care centers where they are provided food and medicine. The vaccination rate remains low, in part because many are unable to navigate the COWIN online registration system. Registration is mandatory for all those 18 years and older. During the past year, Assam counted fewer than 1,000 deaths, but there were more than 500 cases in Dibugra this week, there were more than 6,000 cases reported May 19th, and the seven-day average is more than 5,000. Deaths are approaching 2,500. India recorded the highest COVID one-day fatality rate of any country this week. There are now 26 million active cases with almost 300,000 deaths officially recorded, a tally that is likely an undercount. Mm -hmm. Tea growers in Nepal faced a formidable combination of wet weather, expensive fertilizer, high transport costs, a shortage of labor, infestations of leaf curl and black tip that led to declines of as much as 40% last year compared to 2019. In 2021, drought is the big concern. Harvest totals for the first flush are half that of 2020. New leaves did not sprout on schedule due to drought conditions that lasted from December until February. The Kathmandu Post writes that, unlike last year, the price of CTC, that's cut-tear-curl-teas, is 200 Nepal rupees per kilo, well below highs of 360 Nepal rupees last year. Nepal is also seeing a replay of last year's COVID-19 crisis. Nepal reported 9,198 new confirmed cases on Monday, which is a 3,000% increase from last month. The positivity rate is averaging 45%, with 174 deaths per day in a country of around 30 million people. Business Insight Nepal Tea founder Nishal Banskota, who manages the family's Nepal Tea garden remotely from New York, writes that, along with the health crisis, the small farmers in the agricultural sector face even longer-term impact to their crops which are being wasted due to lockdowns and lack of market access. The farmers that were just hoping to recoup their losses from last year's crisis are yet again faced with challenges to produce and sell their crops. The tea farmers find themselves in the same situation where they might not be able to harvest their most productive second flush due to rising cases. Business Insight, visit the T-Biz blog for information about relief services that will assist the tea community in Nepal. Shizuoka, Japan's picturesque and most productive tea prefecture since 1959, may soon have to relinquish that title to Kagoshima, according to data released by Japan's Ministry of Agriculture, Forestry, and Fisheries. Acreage under tea and green leaf output has slowly declined since the 1980s in Shizuoka, which produced 25,200 metric tons of unprocessed tea leaves in 2019. The total is 34 percent of Japan's total production. The 2019 crop, the 2019 crop was valued at 25.1 billion yen, about. 230 million US dollars. Kagoshima growers, who harvested only 2,700 metric tons in 1959, by 2019 were recording 25.2 billion in sales. The prefecture harvested nearly the same amount of tea on 7,970 hectares compared to Shizuoka's 13,700 hectares. The reason is that Kagoshima invested heavily in mechanized harvesting equipment, which is now used on 97.5% of the prefecture's farms. Due to steeper slopes and smaller plots, only 65.8% of Shizoka's tea is mechanically harvested. Arvinda and Theraman in Bengaluru reports on this week's Tea Auction Prices.
2: India Tea Price Report for the Week Ending 15th May 2021 COVID continues to dominate the news while weather shows some signs of relenting in Assam. With the lockdowns in place across the country, there is an impact on both work on the gardens and in the supply chain. In the Nilgiris, while tea gardens are exempt from lockdown, media reports indicate that movement of goods was affected due to restrictions as warehouses and offices are closed. Most commodity markets, including tea, seem to be grappling with the supply chain logistics both intra- and interstate. Assam has been one of those regions that has been in the news due to COVID hitting the tea gardens. Currently, priority among tea producers is to ramp up vaccination on the gardens to contain the spread of the virus. Tea gardens have been allowed to function following strict protocols. However, new SOPs have been issued on COVID management for tea gardens, taking into account available and accessible health care. Lockdown rules in Assam include a 15-hour curfew from 2pm every day. In a letter to the state government, the Northeastern Tea Association has requested that COVID restrictions for workers and vehicles of tea estates within a 5km radius of urban and semi-urban areas be relaxed. The letter also points out that transport of green leaves from gardens to factories and also transport for workers who don't live on the gardens necessitates this relaxation. At the auctions, Sale 19 saw good demand for tea and prices remained steady. Kunur auctions for Sale 19 were held on Saturday as Friday was closed for the Festival of Ramzan. Kochi saw good participation from Incoserve and Supplyco for dust, leading to price increase by 10 to 20 rupees per kilo. In Leaf, CTC Leaf fed better than Orthodox Leaf with 98% offering sold. CIS and West Asia buyers lent fair support. In Kunur, 124 kilos of green tea was on offer and sold for 301 rupees per kilo. Guwahati auctions also saw green tea offerings with green tea invoices from Duklingia fetching in the range of 350 rupees per kilo.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor.
3: Q Trade Teas works with tea purveyors at every scale, from promising startups to the world's largest multinational beverage brands in the hot, iced, and bottled tea segments. With U.S.-based formulation, blending, and packaging services, Q-Trade can help you innovate, scale up, and grow your specialty tea brand. For more information, visit our website,
1: QTradeTeas.com.
0: T-Biz this week travels to the slopes of the Kilauea volcano where Tea Hawaii founder Eva Lee describes the ongoing tea harvest as unusually wet and seven weeks later than normal. And then to Massachusetts to learn how a simple beverage transformed Indian culture. Eva Lee pioneered modern tea cultivation in Hawaii, establishing with her husband a tea garden and nursery in the town of Volcano. The farm supplied growers with hardy cultivars first introduced in 2000 by researchers at the College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources. Hawaiian tea is grown on farms producing less than 100 kilos a year. Small amounts of premium tea are exported, but most is purchased by local restaurants and tourists. In this conversation, Lee describes how the modest but very strong tea industry adapted during a difficult year. Eva, will you update listeners on this year's tea harvest so far?
1: Our spring season began quite late. And the reason for that is Hawaii has been inundated with a very, very extensive rainy season. We're coming off of about seven plus months of pretty much straight rain. Deep, deep saturation. The plants have really responded as we have just broken with the rains and now have sun, and spring is now revealing itself. So, the tea plants themselves, I think throughout the state, are expressing themselves considerably more this time of year than they have in the past. Usually, we would have begun in February, March, or our first flush spring harvests. We have quite a bit of production of harvests that are going on.
0: What makes Hawaii-grown tea so special?
1: You know, some of the teas are in the native forests that we've got going on, shade-grown, um, up at 4,000-foot elevations. And we also have teas that are down in full sun, 900-foot elevation, also on the east side of the island. Our particular garden on the summit of Kilauea volcano at 4,000-foot elevation, is on what we call the windward side of the volcano. We have a fellow grower that is on the leeward side, same elevation. The conditions are quite different. They're on the leeward side. It's much drier, much more sun. They themselves also had a late beginning of spring harvest. But the microclimates, the conditions that can be just moments away, are quite considerable. One of the reasons why the tea is so special is that this generation of tea growers are first-generation tea growers. Because we haven't had a history of uh, tea agriculture in the state, everyone that's growing tea are doing um, a lot of experimentations. They are growing it out of the love of the leaf. Those of us that have established ourselves in the areas that are most conducive, we have mulch and forest canopies that are some that are over 100 years old. We don't have some of the same diseases and the same problems or challenges that other tea-producing countries have. Because we are isolated in the middle of the Pacific, we also don't have continents that are close by to us, so we don't have fallout on pollutants coming into our area. And so every season has kind of excitement that happens because it's new. Every season, it's quite different. It's very, very exciting. And now we're at that place where we can provide the public with a variety of teas.
0: Will you describe the economics of the tea industry in 2021 and how Hawaiian growers adapted to the sharp decline in tourism and the restaurant business?
1: We had to act quite quickly on decisions as to production. We had to slow gardens down because we were faced with inventory that was not moving because of restaurant closures. We also here in Hawaii rely a lot on agritourism. Many of the restaurants here in Hawaii closed down due to the pandemic. Labor costs in Hawaii have always been much more than in other tea-producing countries. So the changes or the decisions that we had to make definitely hurt some labor because we were not able to have as many people work at the gardens. We changed some of the techniques in processing and how much time that we would put into or not some of our crafted teas. So the percentages changed from premium grades to secondary grades. Maybe they're not as good. But in actuality, we were kind of nicely surprised that we were able to produce some very wonderful secondary, third grade, however one wants to interpret these teas that could be very accessible for the public and were quite tasty. Instead of direct to restaurants, it would go direct to consumers, uh, for instance, uh in food hubs so we used to do a lot of distribution of our teas direct to consumers in farmers markets of course many of the farmers markets were closed down during that time we've been doing farmers markets probably for over 12 years and it was a big change so uh we ended up on um, producing processing manufacturing uh teas that we call tea to go Uh, for people that were here locally to take our teas and be able to steep them up very easily. Um, And so we were moving from bulk loose leaf to individually filter uh, packing our teas and doing it all here in Hawaii. So we've then turned into not only growers, producers, but also co-packers. And so our co-packing activities are also on location. We do have a modest, but very strong tea industry here in our state. And now some of the people that ended up experiencing the teas that were more accessible. Well, for premium teas, as far as by the kilo, we're talking by the kilo, 2.5 pounds, it's about $400. We are wholesaling them by so many units. But to break it down to you, is that they are wholesaled for $7 for that package of one ounce, 10 filter package teas. So to the consumer, usually $8.25, I believe, is what the markup of some of the stores and food hubs are doing. So also to have um, discussions even on some of our premium teas to uh, local retailers. So if I sell this to you for $10, You know, instead of you selling it for 20, think about 18. And that's kind of a formula that seems to work pretty well with some of the retailers. And we also cut down on some of our costs of packaging itself. We made our own packaging. And and so that has helped for this period of time. We, We, it may continue. You know, we share a little information on the inside of the package and whatnot, so people can learn a little bit more. And then I think it gives people the confidence to maybe try the premiums.
0: Humans readily adapt to new foods and drink, most with little effect. We make them our own by accepting them and enjoying them, says distinguished food and culture author, Kydrita Banerjee. But some are transformative, quote, it's interesting that a foreign drink brought in by a foreign colonial power became such an important thing. We don't think of tea as a foreign drink anymore, she tells Arvinda and during this International Tea Day interview.
2: Chitra Banerjee is among the most important chroniclers of food and culture today, having written extensively about it, in particular of food in Bengal. She grew up in Kolkata before moving to the U.S., where she earned a Master's in Literature from Harvard. Her first book, Life and Food in Bengal, was published in 1991, and from there on, food seems to have become a medium for her storytelling. Her books include The Hour of the Goddess, Memories of Women, Food and Ritual in Bengal, Bengali Cooking, Seasons and Festivals, and more recently, Eating India, and odyssey into the food and culture of the land of spices, besides fiction and biography, which she also writes. America has become home, she retains a close connection with India, especially Kolkata and Bengal. For tea day this year, I asked to have a conversation with her on tea. To the Bengali, tea is both cultural and personal, and I was curious about where one ends and where the other begins. Would you place tea as part of the Bengali food culture?
3: I I am a bit hesitant about saying that because, you know, although it is such a big part of Bengali social culture. Whenever, when we think of food, there is a kind of, you know, wall between food and drink. And that is true in the Western concept. People who write about food in the Western world do not write about wine and stuff. That is a separate kind of expertise, a separate world. Tea is not something that I would normally, you know, consider part of our food culture. And yet it is part of our relational culture. It's part of our way to bond with each other. It's it's interesting that a foreign drink brought in by a foreign colonial power became such an important thing. And it has now, at least in Bengal, it has acquired the Bengali identity. We don't think of it as a foreign drink anymore. You know, very few people actually know the history. Very few people actually realize, you know, the, a, the origins of tea. B, how the you know, British you know, colonial politics and economics worked in order to bring tea into India and then get to marketing tea so that you know, Indians would develop a taste for it. It's like potatoes and chili peppers. We think these are our foods. You know, just We forget that 500 years ago, we'd never heard of such things, that they came with the Portuguese into India. That way, you know, some of these items are uh, really a great, I would say, testament to how human beings adopt new things and then give it a character that makes it their own. It, it's, it's a transformation process, transformative process that I find very interesting. And I find some that, that is very hopeful, not in just the context of food, you know, I find it very hopeful in the context of our relationships with each other very few Bengalis can do without their tea or without their potatoes or the chili peppers. We're not changing tea or potatoes or chili peppers into something else, but we are making them our own by accepting them and enjoying them. Acceptance brings enjoyment, you know, Mm. real enjoyment. And this is something people, you know, don't think about. How did your relationship with tea develop? I lived in a multicultural family home, several generations. It was a very big family, many, many relatives, and also um, lots of visitors. Because we had family members living outside Calcutta who would come to visit and stay with us. A big family means, you know, many ceremonies and many occasions like weddings, you know, and engagements and birthdays and stuff like that. Droves of friends and relatives would come and some would stay. And so there was always, you know, tea was always a presence morning, noon and night. You know, it's like nobody ever seemed to think that you know drinking tea at night would give you, you know, sleeping problems. You know, this is something that you know I have learned after coming to the West, you know, caffeine in tea and caffeine in coffee, you know, okay, bad for sleep. Nobody used to think that way before. So even if a visitor came to your house, say at eight thirty in the evening, you would see, first thing you would say, you know, chakabe or chakuri, and mostly the answer would be yes. So tea was next to water, the life-sustaining drink for the Bengalis, and it was not different from my family to any other in any other family. You know, we everywhere it seems to be the same thing. And as you grow up and you develop independence and you're allowed to go out on your own and meet with friends, assemble with friends, well, again, one of the things you do is go to you know a tea shop or find a place where you can you know order some tea and sit together. And we did that unthinkingly, instinctively, but there was this feeling inside us that our ada, our talk, would only be enhanced if we had a cup of tea with us. Since I was, you know, going to college, presidency college, whether whether I enjoyed the coffee in coffee house, right opposite. When I went to the coffee house, most of the time, there was no tea, obviously. In the coffee house, you could only get different kinds of coffee. And it was considered very sophisticated. But I have to say that though I never admitted it, I never really enjoyed coffee the way I enjoyed tea. And that I attribute to my father, who made me, you know, learn about tea and appreciate tea in a very, you know, sophisticated, nuanced way. Like he would make three kinds of tea and, you know, I would taste bit by bit. And sometimes I didn't like what he would consider the best tea, but he would then, you know, say, well, you have to develop a taste for it. You know, some things don't happen automatically. And you have to develop a taste for it. So next time when we make this, you will see that you like it a little bit better. You might enjoy it more. Where do you get your Darjeelings from now? I live in Cambridge and my house is a very short distance from Harvard Square. And there used to be a wonderful, wonderful tea store Mm. called Lux. So and they had the best quality teas from all over the world. They had tea from China. I mean, I don't drink tea from China, but Mm. they had them various grades and they had uh, various kinds of Darjeeling tea and they also had a little bit of tea of course and but they went out of business about mm. three years ago so for a while I just didn't know what to do and I was dreading the thought when my you know stock would run out I have oh I have to share this story you know I have to have tea and then I wrote that piece for you and about oof, I don't know Two or three months after that, I got a call from a friend who said, uh, I mean, I have shared the story with my friend. Uh, She's an Armenian-American, and she said, hey, listen, I shared your story with this guy I know, and he's also an Armenian-American guy, and he runs a tea company called Menti. And he's just so blown away by your story. He wants to meet you. I said, oh, well, fine, you know. Oh, I'm happy to meet anybody. I gave him my email and he wrote back and we uh, had of meeting. And he said, well, go to such and such. There's a tiny little restaurant. It's not really a proper restaurant. It's more like a sandwich shop, come coffee shop, where a lot of students go. And he said, you know, we'll meet there in the afternoon, four o'clock or something. Fine. So I turn up there and then this guy appears. And he said, I'm so glad. And then he said, and then, of course, I must have tea with you. I said, yes, but I don't know what kind of tea these people have. I said, don't oh, forget it. These people are not important, but they let me do whatever I want here. There's a reason for it, which I can't get into. So i brought three kinds of tea and he took out these little sessions, you know, with different, you know, uh, teas in them. And I'm going to brew them in their kitchen and I'm going to serve tea to you. I said, my goodness. <laughs> this was a very strange experience. Wow. <laughs> this guy takes over somebody's restaurant and brews tea. Okay. Oh, wow. So I, I, I sat there, sort of feeling like Queen Victoria, I'm God, you know. And he. Just like my father. You know, it's like the past comes back to me like this. You know, he brought different kinds of tea in three different cups and uh, sat there and sort of expectantly looking at me you know, to taste and tell me which one I liked, which one I didn't, or which one I liked less. And I noticed that he did not offer me either milk or sugar. It had to be the pure tea taste that, you know, he wanted me to have. I did, and one of them was absolutely, you know, wonderful, you know, very, very fragrant, beautiful Darjeeling tea. So he said, well, I'll make a bigger packet of this and mail it to you as a little present. And then I found that Menti, his company, actually does mail order sales. So now I buy tea from them. Oh, nice. Online, yeah. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But the funny thing is he's now sold the company um, to a friend so, mm-hmm. the, you know, he said, I only sold it to somebody that I trust who will keep the quality alive and, you know, will not, you know, cut corners and, you know, make ends meet for money or whatever. The best best teas will be available always. And he has moved to Maine where he bought a farm mm-hmm. and he um, grows wildflowers. In a way,
2: I'm really surprised, but I'm also in a way not. I find that tea seems to touch people in ways beyond any understanding. So have you been able to create a world around tea
3: in Cambridge? One of the things I miss here is that very few people here, among my friends, enjoy tea. That's one of the things I miss greatly. Uh, When I go to Calcutta, it's so different, you know. All the friends that I meet, you know, we always will get together over tea. Uh, And there's no question that we are going to, you know, have tea together. And, you know, there's the Bengali stuff with food also. So if you visit somebody in the afternoon, it's tea and samosas um, or, you know, tea and muri uh, or tea and spiced muri, stuff like that. That whole dimension of tea drinking, that whole kind of, you know, communal pleasure uh, surrounding the cup of tea, I have not been able to recapture in my American life. In my American life, I am the solo tea drinker. I am the tea drinker who's still making it with great care and still enjoying it. But it is not an active, lively enjoyment with other people. It's more like it's a reminiscent enjoyment. It's an enjoyment probably, you know, uh, with the past. Uh, it's an enjoyment of, of a drink that takes me back to the past. Uh, And uh, I wish it could be different, you know, but, you know, I feel okay. So that can only happen when I go to Calcutta again.
0: Intrigued by what you heard in today's podcast? Would you like to learn more from our global network of TVS journalists and T-experts? Contact them directly through Subtext, private message-based platform. Avoid the chaos of social media and start a conversation that matters. Subtext's message-based platform lets you privately ask meaningful questions of the tea experts, academics, and t biz journalists reporting from the t lands. You see their responses via SMS texts, which are sent direct to your phone. Visit our website and subscribe to Subtext to instantly connect with the most connected people in T. Remember to visit the T-Biz website for more comprehensive coverage. That's wwwt bizbizcom Thanks for listening. Farewell till next week.